interesting a song on prayer and a song on the friend, uh, which we will look at today. I've entitled the message here, More on Prayer, But Much About God. More on Prayer, But Much About God. In Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, Jesus continues his teaching on prayer. Now, I know that you had a lot of home time this week uh, with uh, the weather shutting us down in some ways. Some people uh, teleworked a um, few days, went into work. Some people were home all week. Uh, what did you do with your time? I mean, if you're thinking about that, um, I heard some people did some extra cleaning, get a head start on spring cleaning, going through some of those uh, closets that you hadn't touched. Or maybe some people, I heard somebody that put up some of their Christmas stuff or it was about time putting your Christmas stuff up. I got some extra time playing with the kids and uh, going outside. We, we had a couple good walks uh, that we enjoyed, even though it was cold. Um, I remember a time around 1992, a storm such as this came through the south. We were living in Georgia at the time, and it shut us down probably a week. I, I wasn't really keeping track of the time, but I know that there was a pile of snow and ice that stuck around uh, for many days in our front yard, and we would slide down it, and we played. And I have some good memories of being locked down with my family during that time. Maybe your week was not that good memories. Maybe it was a little different uh, because of the way uh, things are. But I, I hope that you took some extra time this week to think about your prayer and your Bible reading. I mean, we, we ended last Sunday with the importance of this prayer and the scripture reading and how important it is for us to dig into God's word. And sometimes the Lord decides to shut down a week, whether it's through COVID or through sickness or put you in a hospital, hospital bed or maybe lock you down at home with your friend, uh, with your family to, to make your attention down to the things that are very important. And scripture reading and prayer, that is always something that we can work on. This section of Jesus' continuation of, of preaching and teaching on prayer has come because his disciples have asked the question, Lord, teach us to pray. So he gives them a pattern of prayer to pray through. And in this pattern of prayer, we have seen the importance of prayer. Let me give you just four points here about this prayer, just in a, a generalization. Prayer is a relationship with God. Prayer is a relationship with God. He starts out our Father. In this pattern of prayer, He's focusing our relationship with God. Prayer doesn't grant me a relationship with God. In other words, I don't pray, and because of my prayer, then that, that, that automatically means that God is going to hear me. No, prayer is a relationship. The way I am granted a relationship with God is through His Son. And because I am a child of God, I can come into His presence and pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. Prayer is an indication that I have a relationship with the Father. So prayer is a relationship. So when you think of prayer, you are communicating as a son to a father. It's a relationship. Prayer is also communion with a holy God. I mean, think about this. I've had access to the very throne of heaven, into the very presence of the God of the universe. What a privilege it is. The only reason that I have access into the throne of God is because of Jesus, his son. I don't deserve to come into his presence. 
We've all fallen short of God's glory, the scripture says. But it is because of the perfect um, righteousness of Jesus Christ that is put onto the account of the person who by faith believes that righteousness that can be imputed to him and his sins can be forgiven that we can now, Paul said, come boldly into the throne of grace. A prayer is communion. Communion is fellowship. Communion is coming before a holy God and, and having not just a relationship, but a conversation, a communion, to be called a son, to be granted this privilege in communion with God. Prayer is also, number three, worship. Prayer is not just a relationship. We've been granted that through His Son, and therefore we can come and we can commune with God as Father and Son. But prayer is also worship to a wonderful God. Prayer is an action which we do to give credit and honor and glory to His name. We are, when we pray, we are worshiping God. Prayer is a worship. It is an act. Just like singing, just like giving, just like our attention to the Word of God. When we pray, we are worshiping and praising God. When I pray, I pour myself out to Him in need. I need bread. I need forgiveness. I need protection. I can't live without Him any moment of a day. I need Him. I will fall flat on my face. I will starve to death. I will be empty and alone. I will be vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. So when I plead with Him for these things, when I petition in my prayer life, what I'm doing is I'm showing my utter dependence upon a God who can meet my every need. That's what prayer does. Prayer is coming to the Lord, bringing Him what we call a words like supplication. When we come to Him and we plead, we pray, we intercede, we, we ask for Him to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves, or we give Him credit and praise of things that He has done, which is thanksgiving. I'm showing my utter dependence upon Him and I'm turning to Him as the only one who can provide for me. That's worship. That's lifting high the Lord. And that's putting me in a humble place where I belong. Many of us don't pray because we think we are self-sufficient. We think we can do it ourselves. We think we can go through the day and we'll be okay. Because we have all that we have done for, for ourselves and we see ourselves as being sufficient. When this prayer, in this prayer, not only is Jesus telling us to focus on a relationship and a communion, but He's also saying this is worship. And when we come and we present to Him and we plead with Him and we ask for Him, we are showing that we are dependent upon Him and we can't live a moment of a day without Him. Now with all that said... With taking, um, I don't know, I, I, I haven't counted, but maybe seven, eight weeks on a prayer that can be prayed in less than 30 seconds. Right? That means that there's a lot in this prayer, much more than just the words that was saying, the meaning and the focus and the attention of this prayer. Do you find that your prayer life is still a battle? I mean, Jesus just gave you a 30-second model prayer to pray. I just spent six, seven weeks on, on, on messages on, on each one of these aspects. So prayer should be easier for you, right? I don't know about you, but prayer is still a struggle. 
Prayer is still a struggle for me, and I'm the pastor. Do you have a hard time finding what to say? I mean, Jesus prayed all night long, and he was at no loss of words. I'm sure that puzzled the disciples. I mean, when they saw him come back in the morning, they knew he was up on the mountain and he spent there the entire night. And he comes back with knowing that he's not been asleep, that he's been awake all night long. And the disciples who get up from their nice, good rest all night long and see Jesus coming back and it just puzzles them. How can he pray all night long and not fall asleep? How does he watch and pray when he's so tired and he's had a long day of work? How does Jesus do it? I imagine that Peter said, Lord, I can't keep my attention when I pray. I can go to the synagogue. I can quote the Torah. I can sing the songs. I can keep the Sabbath. I can recite the Shema. But when I start to pray in my closet place, I don't get three minutes in and I start to have a battle and a struggle. I find that when I pray, if I'm not careful, I can get bored. I can lose words. I can get distracted. I can lose my place. I, I, can, I can very easily veer off in another direction and think about something else that I can do. I'm not any different than you. I struggle in my prayer life just like you do. Prayer, this is number four. Not just a relationship, not just a communion, not just a worship, but prayer is a battle and a battle of the mind. It is all out war with our minds. We talked about this battle last week. This is, this is where the battlefield rages within us and the temptation that comes to the devil. And the devil knows, okay, if you go to church and get distracted, that's fine. You can sing a few songs in a rote memory fashion and that'll be okay. But as soon as you get on your knees and you start to go and wrestle with God and you get a hold of the heart of God and you start to pour out this worship and communion and focus on your relationship with God, the devil says, I can't allow that to happen. And your flesh also understands that weak point as well. The disciples, no doubt, when Jesus prayed, they realized in this model prayer that Jesus was talking to a friend. That's how Jesus was able to go all night long is because he was talking to his best friend. You don't get bored with that. You don't get distracted. You don't find that you don't have any words to say when you're talking to your best friend. He was also talking to his heavenly father. It doesn't seem like Jesus had any problem with his prayer life. Why is that? Well, some smarty pants may actually say, well, because he was God and he could do the impossible. Well, that is true. Jesus was God. However, the scripture says he was fully man. He got tired. He got hungry. He got distracted at times. He was no less man than you and I, yet without sin, the scripture says. He was tempted. He got hungry. He got sleepy. He got emotional. He got heavy. He got weak in body. He got weak in mind. He felt the full weight of the battle and struggle. This is why we need to take special care when Jesus starts talking about prayer. It's because he is our model example about our relationship with God. 
our communion with God, our worship to God, our battle with our flesh. Jesus, in, after he gives this model prayer, gives some concluding statements regarding prayer. That's why Luke says, and he continued to say, he said unto them, and then he makes some statements about prayer. The outline this morning is he gives two parables. The parable of a friend from verse 5 through 8, and then he gives some application in verse 9 and 10. So when Jesus gives a parable, he gives a concluding statement about an application of that parable. Then he moves to the next parable, the parable of the father in verse 11 and 12. And then he gives a concluding statement of application in verse 13. So, in these verses, he gives two parables with two applications, and we're going to look at it in that fashion. These two parables, following the comments of Jesus about prayer, is not as much uh, concerning what we would think as prayer, as it is a focus on the character and the nature of God. This is why I entitled this message, More on Prayer, But Much About God. Because over these next two parables, Jesus is highlighting more about God than he is about prayer. And don't miss that. What do we notice about the God of prayer in these verses? First of all, we notice he is a wonderful friend. He is a wonderful friend. Look at verse 5. Which of you have a friend shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is journeyed to set bef- uh, is come before me, and I have nothing to set before him. Look down in verse eight, and I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his what's the word friend. How many of you have a friend? I mean, can you think of a really good friend that you have? This parable that Jesus tells is a parable about a friend. The word friend is used four times. It's the Greek word philos, which means a dearly loved friend. Someone of whom you have a personal affection for. A bond of common shared experience, one commentator said. Strong says this, a trusted confidant. Someone you trust in. Can you imagine someone like that? Do you have a friend like that in your life? Someone that you can count on in a time of need? Someone who has your back when you're in trouble. Someone you can trust when things have gone wrong. That's a good friend. That's the word that is used here. Solomon talks about the sweetness of a friend. It's like a precious ointment or oil. It's precious. This summer, someone in our church locked their keys in their car at the grocery store. What do you do when that happens? Call 911. They'll call the police. Go into the store manager and say, I've got a problem outside, please. Maybe you walk up to a complete stranger and you ask for their help. Or you call a friend. What's the easiest thing to do? What's the most comfortable thing to do? Call a friend. You... you, you, you see, a friend is, is someone that you can phone in time of need because they, you know they will have your back. They'll be there to help. And yes, it may be more you know, con- 
convenient to get somebody right next door. You may have a locksmith in the parking lot if you just go to 50 people and figure it out. But it's comfortable. It's convenient. It's someone you can trust. Someone you're comfortable with. You're in a tight place. So you phone a friend. Now picture this situation. Jesus gives a scenario. He tells a parable. A parable is a is a earthly story with a heavenly truth to it. That's the definition of a parable. Here's the scene. And let me set it for you in kind of a modern uh, terminology. It's say it's in the middle of a COVID lockdown. Or maybe a winter storm. And the stores are all out of bread. Walmart has no milk. Publix is out of frozen pizza. All of which I heard this week. What are you going to do? Maybe picture a scene that's more terrifying than that. A friend of yours comes knocking at your house who's been on a long trip and it is an emergency situation and they found their, themselves stranded at your home. You take them in out of kindness and love. But you go to the kitchen and you open up your cabinets and they're empty. No bread, no milk, no frozen pizza, not even any coffee. Hey, this is serious. You're desperate. So, what are you going to do? Can't call 911. They're all stuck. All right? they're, they're all helping everybody else that's all in, in, you know, in their accidents. So, you go down the street to your best friend. Your dearly loved friend. You have to walk in the snow and ice. It's midnight. And they are your last resort. So you knock on the door to your desperate friend for bread. And through the ring, you know, the door cam, it, 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 it answers, what are you doing here? Trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now goest back to your houses and sleepeth. Maybe... That wouldn't be the complete response, but that's the response in this story. Look at verse 8. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So notice in this verse, he won't, he, you, you, you won't give up. Your best friend is ignoring you. He hasn't even come down to answer you at the door in person. And you can't just defriend him on your Facebook. He cannot just leave the house. You've got people back at home who are in an emergency and a desperate need. And they need bread. So what do you do? You keep on asking. You keep on knocking. You keep on seeking your friend. You see, the custom of the time is that you did not ignore hospitality. Both of these people in the story are in a serious situation with the issue of the custom of hospitality. One is they have a family over at their house and there's no bread to feed. That's on that person's reputation. They need to find it. They're responsible to supply. Then this person goes to another person's house who is their friend and they have bread, they have milk, but it's midnight, they're in bed, the doors are already shut, and you're knocking on the door saying, I have a need. Notice in this story, this is not someone who wants something. 
This is not saying, oh, you know, uh, we, we need some, uh, some cookies. We'd like to have cookies with our meal. No, this person is in a need, a serious need. There is no food. This isn't asking for dessert or anything extra, or we would just like this. It would sure make our night go better. This is the asking in this story is of a desperate need and a reputation is at stake here. That plays an important role in the story. This is serious. Yet, because he is your friend. He will rise up and give you what you need of him. You notice that at the end of verse eight, what he needs, not wants needs. The word used in verse seven for trouble me, it's an interesting word. It literally means to strike a blow. He says, don't trouble me. It has a meaning to bring pain. Strong says it involves a weariness and a fatigue and a labor. In other words, you are being a pain in the neck. Here's your friend. He's already gone to sleep. It's midnight. He's not coming to. He's saying you're being a pain in the neck. You're irritating me. I don't want to come out and help you. One translation says, don't bother me. Even in this strange situation, the irritation and the frustration in the story. Ever been woken up at night? And, and you hear the words, honey, will you get me a glass of water? Right? I, I, I probably should stop at that portion of the illustration. Ever been irritated? You can't just. Oh. Notice the two reasons that he will give. He will get up out of bed and give him what he needs. It says in this, yet he is your friend. That's the first reason he's going to get out of bed. This is what friends do. You see, a stranger will continue to tell you to get lost. I'm going to call the police. I don't know you. Get out of here. But a true friend will be pained to get out of bed. So a good husband is going to get out of bed and get his wife something to drink. Why? Because he is her friend. That is what friends do. They're a pain in the neck. Well, no, not necessarily, but yes, necessarily. You will go out of your way to do even to the point of exhaustion and weariness and labor and pain, even physically pain, to do for the one you love. There's also a second reason here because of the King James says importunity. You notice that word? It means persistence. It literally means the Greek word means without shame. In other words, he will not be embarrassed. He will not be ashamed of doing what he's going to do. He's keeping at it. I'm going to keep knocking. Stop knocking. No, I'm going to keep knocking. Stop it. I'm not ashamed. I'm going to keep knocking. I have a need. I'm not going to stop. You're irritating me. I know that. The word importunity has the idea 
of being rude. One translation says of this word, shameless boldness. Edwards translates this word in his commentary as shameless audacity. Rudeness. Sometimes friends are rude. It's the only time in the New Testament this word importunity is used. This Greek word is used. It's translated for us in the English. But it's the only time in the whole Bible that this word is used. Here's the application. This parable has in it a persistence in prayer. I don't doubt that. Prayer is a pleading with God. And Jesus is teaching us to be faithful, persistent, bold, and consistent in our prayer life. Edward states this of this passage. Prayer is not a polite religious sediment. It is something on which people must be willing to stake their lives upon. The determination not to give up until God has been heard. And until God has heard you. It is a struggle to know God. I'm reminded of the story I read a week or so ago in the book of Genesis. On the story of Jacob who would not let go. Until God blessed him. A fight with the Lord. Notice not to get his way. But to get God's way. I'm not going to let go. This parable is not teaching that we are demanding God to do things our way. We are not selfishly desiring God to do what we want him to do. Remember Jesus prayed. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy name be hallowed. This is not about our agenda. It is about seeking God's will. So don't get, once you get asked, and it shall be given, seek, and you shall find. And there's a, oh, that means I can come to God with anything that I want, and he's obligated, and I can demand, and I'll just keep knocking and keep telling him, and you will do this, you will make, help me with this, and this. No, no, this is not giving demands of God. That would go opposite of what the pattern of prayer was in the previous passage. This prayer is teaching us to consistently seek and knock and and seek the will of God. However, this prayer is teaching a wider and broader truth than just persistence, just importunity. This prayer is teaching us about something about God. Don't get this prayer confused with Luke 18's parable. In Luke 18, Jesus tells us about a widow who comes to a judge who is an unjust judge, who she's been done, um, she needs being avenged. She comes to this judge and he won't listen to her, so she continues to irritate him. The word troubled me in that passage in Luke 18. Jesus is teaching a lesson about being faithful, not just in prayer. Yes, that could be. But being faithful in your life, in your walk with God, because God is not like the unjust judge. And and you continue to be faithful. You continue to uh, struggle through. That is true. And that can be drawn from this parable. But I don't believe it was Jesus's main point. I believe Jesus's main point about this parable is a comparison. And here's the comparison. God is not like this friend. God is not a friend who has to be dragged out of bed. God is not a friend that gets annoyed or irritated. God is not a friend that gets troubled and reluctantly stomps down the stairs to give you a loaf of bread. Do you see that in the story? 
This friend was tired. This friend was sleepy. This friend was bothered. This friend was irritated. This friend was frustrated. He has to be pounded over and over and over again to get him out of bed. One commentator said this, The sleeper does not want to be bothered, but God is willing to be bothered in ways that humans will not tolerate. Listen, your heavenly friend who sticks closer than a brother is not one bit like this friend in the parable. God does not get offended when you're irritating and consistently ask. God loves to be approached by your shameless audacity. Being rude in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night does not bother God one iota. He doesn't have to stop what he's doing to hear you. He's already hearing. You see, children are constantly being rude and interrupting adults, are they not? I need this, I need that, I can't do this, I want to do this. Try being stuck all week with four children. Interruptions are the norm with children, right parents, grandparents? But listen to me, you are never an interruption to God's schedule. You may think that he has bigger and better things to do. But this parable is telling us, Jesus is saying, God doesn't have to be woken up and pestered and knocked on over and over again. You are never a bother to God. Verse 9 says, ask. Just ask. Seek. Knock. And as easy as that, it shall be open unto you. No, no irritation, no bother, no upset. God, the, the, the application is that God is ready and willing, sitting on the edge of his throne, waiting for you to come to him. He never slumbers nor sleeps. You can come to him with full confidence that he is listening and waiting and longing to do good for you. You don't have to worry about going over to your friend's house and wake him up. He's sitting up at night waiting for you. In fact, he'll probably have the door open before you even knock. Get out of your mind that God is hard to be reached. That he doesn't want to be bothered. Have you ever called a friend? And they wouldn't answer your phone? Sure, we all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to be ignored. God never ignores you. Why? Because he cares for you. He wants you to come to him. He is waiting up all night long to talk to you. Come boldly and confidently to your friend who is always there for you. One night, my wife and I were staying in a cabin in Tennessee time away we had gone to bed and sometime around one or two o'clock in the morning I woke up from a dead sleep with someone banging on the door we were in the middle of nowhere you had to get down this dirt road down to get to where the cabin were there were maybe a few other cabins that were in there but we we were in the middle of nowhere far away from from town 
It was around the time that there was a fugitive hiding in North Carolina that they were looking for in the mountains. You remember that time? There was, there was some guy that murderer, mass murderer, or something like that, that was hiding out in the FBI and everybody was looking for him. I was, I was kind of scared. My wife says, go see who it is. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> I pulled the covers over my head. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, after a few minutes, all right, would you, okay, go, all right, okay, all right. So I kind of get out and I'm looking for a weapon. I'm looking for, you know, a mop or you know, a, a stick or something, you know, in this cabin. And I'm kind of stumbling through. And, uh, you know, I, I don't go to the door. I go to one of the windows and just kind of lift up the, you know, kind of peek out. And what are you going to see? It's dark outside. We can turn the light on. I didn't hear anything. I ran, jumped back in bed, and they got back under the covers. And I was, I was scared the rest of the night, all right? Somewhere new, Banging on the door right out in the middle. I, I don't know even to this day what ended up happening. I'm pretty sure that somebody was just trying to play a prank. And uh, probably some teenagers were running up and down, uh, waking people up. But listen, God will not ignore you when you come to him in humility and repentance. He is ready and willing to hear you. So the application for us is don't make prayer hard. Don't view God as a reluctant friend who you've got to put your boots on and your, and your shoes on. And I've got to go pray. I've got to go wake him up. He's got a whole lot of other things that he's got to be doing around here. And, it just, and if you do that and you get that in, in your mind, you will be a reluctant prayer. Keep at it. Go to the Lord. Be persistent, yes, and consistent in your prayer life. But notice the willingness that when you knock, He'll open. When you seek, he'll, he'll let you find. When you, when, when you come to him, when you ask, he is willing. He's on the edge. He he's never slumbers, never sleeps, never gets irritated. Is he hurt when we sin? Yes. Don't, that's not part of the story here. What he is, is he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother who loves for you to bother him. So bother him every day. Multiple times a day. Not only is he a, uh, a, a, a wonderful friend, but here last, he's a loving father. We address this kind of father God when we spoke about this phrase when he said, our father. Some here today know, you don't know what it's like to have a, a kind and loving father. You didn't have one. Some in here, you may have bad memories of your father. But even the most loving and Christian father is going to make mistakes. Jesus goes on into another parable type or an object lesson in this prayer. And he sets the scene. A son comes asking for bread. Will the father give him a stone? The son comes asking for a fish. Will the father give him a serpent? The son comes asking for an egg. Will the father instead give him a scorpion? Jesus presents a hypothetical series of questions. And you're meant to answer the questions in a resounding no. A father wouldn't do that to a child, a son. No respecting father, no matter how bad he is, is going to give a stone, serpent, or a scorpion in the place of what his son needs. Jesus is teaching a lesson on love here. 
A father loves his son and will give his son what he needs. Maybe not what he wants, but what he needs. He will provide for his children. While I was studying for this sermon at my dining room table, I overheard a conversation with my little ones in the kitchen. It was lunchtime. My wife was rationing the sandwich bread. Adeline was very devastated that she couldn't have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich since there was no bread in the stores. I mean, consistency. Some children just need consistency. That's what she has at school lunch. That's what she expects every day. And then all of a sudden, you know, it could be, you know, a meat and three vegetables for lunch. And if it just changes the schedule, it ruins the day. And she couldn't understand why she couldn't have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that day. Jed piped up around the corner and said, well, she can have it on a hamburger bun. I, he said, I would eat a jelly sandwich on a hamburger bun. You see, children know about being provided for. They have daily needs and they are important to them. They're vital. Even the most basic thing like a sandwich. You cannot live one day without a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Notice what he says in verse 13 in his application before we close. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. Here's a comparison. Remember, this is much about God. More about prayer. But much more about God. The parable is drawing our attention not about us in prayer as much as it is who is God. So the comparison of the first was God is not like the friend who has to be pulled and dragged out of bed. He's a good friend. He's a wonderful friend. He's waiting up. He can't wait. Notice that this father, the word used here for evil is a word that means the root word means to be troubled or pained. It can mean bad, it can mean slothful, toilsome. Jesus uses the same word in Matthew chapter 7 for the evil fruit or the bad fruit. It's not good, it's rotten. Strong says this word can mean full of labors. It can mean annoyances, hardships. It can be used of something that is diseased or sick or broken in nature. The comparison is you who are flawed fathers, evil fathers, broken fathers, diseased, selfish, greedy, full of sin. Even a broken clock gets it right twice a day. You see, that is what kind of fathers we are. That is what kind of humans we are. We are evil. We are broken. Even saved fathers, Christian fathers, are going to make mistakes. We're going to view things selfishly. We're going to get greedy. We're, we're going to be full of sin. We are broken vessels. How much more? You see that in the phrase? Even a broken father is going to get it right every once in a while. How much more? Your heavenly father. In other words, God is not flawed. He is not broken. He doesn't need sleep. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't make mistakes. 
you can trust him fully. He knows what you need when you need it. Correction on this verse and these verses in this passage I mentioned earlier. Some people use these verses to falsely claim that you can just come to God, keep praying, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, don't give up, and eventually God will give in and give you what you want. Eventually God will relent and answer your prayers just like He's been. Name it, claim it. Heard that? And if you pray hard enough and with enough faith believing that God will answer whatever you ask for, that's wrong. That's a lie from the devil. And many TV preachers and faith healers and TV, TBN speakers will, will fill many a charismatic audience and Baptists alike to believe a lie about that nature of God. That's not true about him. God is not some kind of genie in a bottle waiting for you to ask for whatever you want. And if you'll have enough faith and enough money in your bank account, it'll get it done. This passage does not say that we get what we want as long as we pray hard enough and have enough faith. This passage is teaching us that God knows what we need. And he is a good father and will never give us what we don't need. We pray with confidence that God will answer our prayers the way he knows best. Matthew 7 and verse 11, the parallel passage of this in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, says how your heavenly Father will give good things to them that ask. Good things. Luke says he will give the Holy Spirit. Luke draws the attention to the giving of the Holy Spirit. This is in connection to Luke's other book that he will write after this. Acts chapter 1 and 2 on the day of Pentecost. The greatest gift that a believer could ever receive is the gift of the Spirit himself and all that accompanies him. The armor, the seal, the fruit, all which helps us in this very real spiritual battle that we are facing. So here's the application. God is a loving father who knows what you need. Don't approach your prayer with hesitancy that he is not listening. That God doesn't care about your needs. Don't approach your prayer with selfish intent. God, I want you to do or else. Pray in his will. In faithfulness. But leave the answer to what God deems best. Prayer is a consistent journey with God. It is an adventure. Asking, seeking, knocking. These are verbs in the continual sense. In other words, meaning that our prayer life is a consistent journey where we are consistently coming every day to God. Prayer is not some passive activity, but an active adventure of finding God and getting to know Him more and more every time I pray. Don't just pray when lockdowns come around. Don't just pray when you're out of bread in your house. Don't just pray at midnight when you can't sleep. Your life should be a consistent battle of prayer. I like the illustration that I read this week of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was asked to meet a TV, at a TV studio for an interview on a major network. When Reverend Graham's manager came to the studio to help prepare for the interview, they told him that there had been a room set aside for Dr. Graham to pray before the interview. Thinking that the Reverend needed some religious ritual to do before he went on to air on public television. 
the manager wisely stated, Reverend Graham will not have need of that prayer room. Somewhat put back and frustrated, the host was irritated. The manager said to the host, Reverend Graham was up early this morning, first thing in prayer with the Lord. Reverend Graham was in prayer on the whole way to the studio. And throughout your entire interview, as you're talking to Reverend Graham, he will be in consistent, constant prayer with God. He has no need of your prayer room. The illustration just tells us about the fact that we are to pray always with all prayer and supplication, knowing that we have a friend who is eager and ready to listen, knowing we have a heavenly father who is willing and ready to meet our needs, know when we need it and when it should come and how it should come. And he knows what is good. And he's not flawed, he's not broken, he's always there and he cares for you. So stop believing the lies of the devil or maybe the lies that you put in from your own flesh about this issue of prayer. That I just can't do it. Or I'm not good at it. Be willing to go to battle in your prayer life. Father, I pray as we close today. Thank you for the time that we can be in the word of God. And that we can hear that you are a friend. You're not bothered. You're, you're not irritated. Your heart is broken by our sin and by our lack of, of, um, of eagerness and our apathy. But Lord, you, you long for us to come. Come sit and pray. Come ask. Come seek. Come knock. Thank you that you are a heavenly father that is good. And that when we come to you, we may not, we may not know what we need. We may not know what a friend needs. But we come and we plead that your will would be done. And we know that you are not broken. You're not flawed. You know exactly what we need when we need it. And even when hardships come into our life and we pray that it would go away like Paul did three times for his thorn in the flesh. We trust that you know what is best. And so we're going to continue to be faithful in our prayer life. We want to grow. But, but we want to be awed and um, we want to wonder at who you are. You're not like us. You're very different. And that can encourage us. And as we close this morning and go back home and uh, start a new week in a different fashion than this last week, would we build our life in, in prayer and continue to grow in this life of prayer? In Jesus' name that we pray.